right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Shock Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We have uh, High School Sports Weekly coming at you tonight. It's going to be recording at Burgers by Big 6 to 7. It'll air at 7 after Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider on tonight's episode. So uh, we're going to be joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, at 340. we got a KU mailbag at 405. Get any last-second questions in if you would like. Lie detector test at 440 and uh, plenty more. College basketball, Big 12, KU talk as the show goes on. Have you ever considered that when you say what's happening, nobody can say, like, oh, not much, oh, whatever, you know? Yes, I understand that. I, I know how that works, but... You know, they tell you, and and now you're making me what peel the curtain back. They tell you to do radio as if you're speaking to the person directly. Yeah. So yeah. if you're listening to the show, I'm speaking directly to you. Correct. As yeah. you listen to the car. Yes. So you know, it's common courtesy. Okay. I'm not just so gonna walk right. up to someone on the street and be like, "Wow, how about Kevin McCuller?" Hey, you no. basketball. Right. I'm gonna walk up. And be, hey, how you doing? No, no, blah, 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 blah. You know, uh, okay, what's up? Yeah. How's it going? All right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Common yeah. courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. I was just asking a question. Oh, that's fine. Okay. So, <laughs> yesterday uh, <laughs> in the open, we drafted reasons why KU can win the title. Okay. And a reminder what we picked. Uh, we just went back and forth drafting stuff. You had Bill Self just having, you know, the best coach in college basketball. Yep. The best wing group in the country. We saw how wings much, impacted yep. it last year. Yep. Transition play. We saw that last year. Like, this team also very good in transition and yep. can help uh, with sometimes tournament games that get a little stale in the half court. And then uh, just being wide open in general, college basketball. I mean, there's not... NK having the experience, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then for me, I had guard play slash Dewan Harris. It's, it's kind of an all-in-one encompassing thing. You always hear about... Uh, guard play winning in, in March. KU's got an elite point guard in Dewan Harris. The defense is coming along. That's obviously going to be important. Uh, the team versatility, just just being a team that can play a lot of different styles of basketball, I think is important because you don't know what your matchups are going to be in the NCAA tournament. And then having a go-to option late in games with Jalen or if you need a three with Grady Dick, I think those are important to have those kind of defined roles and, and have guys you know you can trust in those moments. So those yep. are the reasons why we picked for KU can win the title. Today we're going to be a little bit more negative. We're going to pick reasons what would cause KU not to win the title. If we get to someday in March or April and Kansas is not having another, you know, national championship banner coming in down Fieldhouse, what's the aftermath? What what's kind of the expectation of like, well, or, that's why or, they lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why did that happen? Yeah. Uh, kind of well, a, a precursor of, okay, well, maybe Which, that By the way, sense. this is a pointless conversation. Mm-hmm. He's going to win the national title. So <laughs> there we go. I'll just say that. All right, uh, I'll let you have the first pick again. Again, we're oh, just okay. going to go back and forth here. So what would you like? All right, I think the first pick, I'm going to go with lack of energy as my number one pick because 
when you look at Kansas's losses, almost all of them can be circled back to this point that they were lethargic early in a game and then either couldn't dig themselves out or they were lethargic early in a game and it took so much energy for them to try to climb back into the game, like the Baylor game, that they didn't have enough left in the tank to close it out, or the Iowa State game where they just didn't show up at all, no energy the whole game. Every loss that Kansas had this season, you can circle back and look at this uh, this point as to part of the reason why. So I think if they're if they fall in the NCAA tournament, it could be a situation like this where they just have a game where their energy is just not there. Now I understand it's the NCAA tournament, and that's probably yeah. You'd hope the energy should be yeah, there that's every probably game. Probably not going to happen. You know, I mean, in the regular season, it, if it happens every once in a while, I guess it's like okay, you know, it's a long season, you play a tough schedule. But if for whatever reason there is a game where Kansas really, really doesn't, uh, or just kind of spins their wheels for the first six, seven, eight minutes of the game, and they get down big early, that could be the beginning of the end for them because we've seen them exert a lot of energy to try to come back in certain games and either not come back or come back but not have enough left to actually finish the game, and that's why they've lost. Yeah. That's what I'm going with. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because if, you know, you get down by a big amount in the NCAA tournament, sure, you could do what you did against North Carolina or that you've shown this year against Baylor and Oklahoma State and some of these other schools. But you didn't close out all those games. Exactly. You play with fire sometimes in that regard. You lost to Baylor. You lost to K-State. Like, I think KU, when they're down at half this year, they're like 2-4, and 2-5. and five. You remember the ones what? that they came they back. They only have five losses Yeah, the whole season. No, but uh, what I'm saying is, like, you remember when whenever they get down at half, you're like, ah, oh, they come back all the time. But they still have like a very bad losing record when they're down and half. You know, yes. like don't don't have that happen. So it's not that the lack of energy would be, oh, we don't want to win this game. It's that you know maybe you're just not all the way there that game. Maybe uh, you just are a bit yeah. lethargic for whatever, for whatever reason. reason. Like you said, you have a slow first eight minutes, and that's enough. Exactly. Like the, I guess the lack of energy also could be phrased as like just slow starting slow. Yeah, starting slow. So I'm going to go with uh, a slow tempo. You can't get into transition enough. That's kind of one thing together. Uh, kind of going back to to what we just talked about, where reasons Kansas can win is because they can be so good in transition. What happens if they play a team who plays a really slow tempo? And when you look on the season, in games that Kansas has played 67 or fewer possessions in a game, they have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. They are seven and three. Still a good record. But in games with 69 or more possessions, they are 16-2. and two. So there's a, there's a difference good. there, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. That's um, pretty good. And like some of the games, even that they won at slower tempos. I mean, you could go all the way back to you, like the Wisconsin game. Yep, the Wisconsin game that they've, they probably should have lost, to be completely honest. They probably have not won that game. They're slow. That was their second slowest game tempo-wise. The, the slowest game they played tempo-wise was Oklahoma State, the home game, where they Again, probably should have lost. Maybe should have lost. One of their other wins, their third slowest tempo game, Iowa State, who they won by two at home. I I think they should have won that game, but also like they very easily could have lost. Yeah. Uh, The fourth slowest game was Harvard, a game that you let a lesser opponent stay in for thirty (laughs) five minutes, 
And then you have, let's see, the Tennessee game is is part of this, 67 or less. That was a loss. The Baylor game there was a loss. L. Iowa State game there was a loss. L. The Texas Tech game in Lubbock, where you only won by three, that was 67 or less. So you look at the board here, even though it's 7-3, and three, still a good record, pales in comparison to 16-2. and two, And, again, you could easily change this to being a 6-4 and four or 5-5 five and five record if a couple things don't go your way. That's scary for me if you play a team that plays at a slow tempo and they slow it down, you can't get in transition enough. Uh, that that honestly might be the number one thing I'm looking for in KU's bracket with their potential matchups. Not, ne- not necessarily like, the oh, tempo. are you playing a team with size or are you playing a team that's good or this and that. It's it's how fast are the teams you're playing. No, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think over the course of the season we've agreed that Kansas is a better team when they're playing more of an open style, more on the open floor, more not necessarily like strictly transition, but you know what I mean? More of an open spacing type game, uh, especially on offense. So if they have, to, if they do have to play a team that's going to make you play 30 seconds at a time, that can be frustrating, especially mentally. Yeah. And also physically draining. 100%. You know, because this is a, this is a Kansas team that, yeah, the defense is coming along, but if you have to play 30 seconds of defense every single possession, dude, you're going to be wore out. In the second half. What's your second pick? All right. I am going to go with poor defensive rebounding for my second pick, or just poor rebounding one. in general. Because, again, when you highlight the losses that Kansas has had this season, another thing that pops up that pops out at you on the stat sheet is, oh, offensive rebounding. Turns out when you give up a lot of offensive rebounds, if you're Kansas, you don't have a lot of success. And there have been games where they have given up a lot of offensive rebounds, but they've also gotten enough offensive rebounds to kind of offset it, and they've still been able to win. But when that deficit or when that margin is wide enough, Kansas struggles. And and again, boxing out rebounding, that's another thing that you, requires you to expend a lot of effort. And we've seen from Kansas that they kind of need to have a team effort of rebounding, right? So if Jalen Wilson has a bad game rebounding, if Gray Dick isn't having a good game rebounding, that puts that much more pressure on Kevin McCuller, K.J. Adams, Ernest Duday. And so again, when you look at the losses Kansas has incurred this season – Offensive rebounding pops out at you. It's it's because, uh, and especially in the tournament, I think giving teams extra possessions is just killer. Yeah, it's killer. You can't do it. You can't allow that to happen. Uh, I, I got a little stat to back up that that what you're talking about. So if I yeah. round up, Kansas State had uh, re- offensive rebounded in, in the game in Manhattan, twenty nine point seven percent of their misses. Um, so if I just round that up to thirty, just for the sake of this stat. Basically, in games where KU allowed the opponent to rebound 30% of their own misses, so 30% plus on offensive rebound rate, if I round up the K-State 29.7 to 30, KU is 5-4 and four in the games where it's under that under that number. They're 18-1. and one. And again, how many losses do they have on the season? Five! Yeah. And four of them were offensive rebounding games. Were games where you struggle on the, on the glass. Hmm. Well, and last year's team was not a, a, a interesting great uh, defensive rebounding team. Last year's finished 196th in the country in defensive rebounding rate. They they did improve it in Big 12 play. They're up to but fourth. They just scored a lot. They did, but also like if you look at what they did in the NCAA tournament, Texas Southern only got 20 percent. Creighton got 15 percent. Providence got 28. Miami only got 13. Villanova got 32, almost four, which the game against Villanova, you just made everything, so it didn't matter they got all those rebounds. Yeah. But those first four games to get to the Final Four, you were a good defensive rebounding team, so you fixed kind of that potential flaw. Uh, only something to watch for this season. 
Uh, the next one I want to go with is Dewan Harris has a bad game. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, that's been kind of a, a consistent theme in, in games that KU has lost. So the games KU has lost this year, Tennessee, he fouled out in like less than 20 minutes of play. Um, bad. The Baylor game in Waco was still coming off his like hitting the head against Kansas State, and that was a bad game for Dewan. Uh Statistically, he only had two points on one of five. He had four assists to four turnovers. It's usually the assist to turnover mark that you look at for Dewan to, to yes. know how it's going. Yes. Uh, the game against TCU, he again struggled in, in the home loss, I should say. He had uh, zero points on 0 for 4. He had eight assists, but he had three turnovers. Usually when the turnovers for Dewan get three plus, that's usually a bad Feel, signal as well. Because yeah. when he's going, it's only like zero or one occasionally too. Yes. The Kansas State game on the road, obviously the game he hit his head. And then the Iowa State game that was on the road, uh, Dewan struggled as well. He had two points on one of five with three assists to, to two turnovers. So um, that's the biggest one for me. If Dewan Harris has a bad game, they're probably going home. But also I will say of the four that we've picked here, this is the one I'm most confident does not happen. Yes, right? 100%. Because as much as Dewan did I mean, have that stretch, he seems had, fine. It was because he, it was obvious that the injury or whatever you want to say, yeah. falling at him, he says publicly, it was obvious that, yeah. So I, I, I'm confident Since then, he, since then he's going. been great. Since then he's been great. Yeah. What's your third pick? Hmm. Uh, I will say Grady Dick struggles to shoot feet as my third pick because... As we've highlighted, this is a Kansas team that doesn't have a, a lot of reliable three-point shooting outside of Wilson to a certain extent. So, and I want to caveat this. Grady Dick can have a bad shooting game if DeWan Harris goes like two of three from three and Jalen Wilson has a good game. But if Grady Dick struggles and DeWan Harris isn't hitting and Jalen Wilson isn't hitting at a high rate, that's going to be a big problem. And your best shooter needs to be your best shooter in the tournament. Is that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right? Like, like the guy who's your your best shooter needs to actually be the best shooter when you get to the tournament. Uh, so he, so if he has a, a rough game, I, I, again, this is one that I'm not, I'm not. The other two picks, I'm concerned. Like the other two picks, I think just as a standalone could result in a Kansas loss. This pick to me is something more of like a one of the other things we've already selected is kind of happening, and then this also happens, right? So that's that's what I think could be the issue with uh, with with Grady Dick is if he fails if he struggles from shooting and then compounded with some other things that's why I'm picking this. So you can you can say this about a lot of teams like the you know oh you take away the guy who does the best at helping you in one category of course it's going to be problematic for you. Um, but Kansas as a team is shooting 34.9% from three this year. That's 145th in the country. So about middle of the pack, like above average. Uh, you know, it's it's good enough to to make things happen for KU. If you remove Grady Dick from the equation, the rest of Kansas is shooting 32.5% from three, which nationally... Which is like very, very, very average. That would rank... No, that's well below average. That would rank 252nd in really? the country. Wow. Yeah. What's average? Like 35? Uh, let's see if there's like a... Uh, is it like 34? 34% okay. is about average. That's higher than I was expecting. So, I mean, again, Grady Dick is there, and they don't have to worry about that. But, to your point, if he struggles, the rest of the team is not a great three-point shooting team. Again, they're they're very below average in that regard. So, that is uh, scary if he does have some 
you know, freshman hurdles to get over in the NCAA tournament, that could be uh, again, very problematic. If he has a bad shooting game in like round one against a 16 seed, sure. probably fine. But if that happens in like the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16, along with you're playing a slow tra- a slow team in tempo, or along with you struggle to get offensive rebounds or defensive rebounds, L. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, man. So I have my third pick here. Some good options. You know, it's it's funny because we basically boiled this down to, like, our last two picks. Grady Dick has a bad game. Dewan Harris has a bad game. Yeah. I don't know that I would pick Jalen Wilson having a bad game because I think they've shown here that if the, the rest of the team steps up, they're fine. Yeah, and again, even if he has a bad game, like we talked about yesterday— He's been quote unquote slumping, having a bad stretch. Yeah. He's still averaging almost thirteen points a game. Yeah, so and he still like, gets a bunch of rebounds yes. and does other stuff yes. for you. Um, I am going to go with the offense has a long lull without scoring. We've seen this several occasions this season where the KU offense has had uh, a bad drought scoring the basketball. Right, so you have uh, the. Oklahoma game is the one that really sticks out to me. I know they scored, but you know they didn't hit a field goal for 13 minutes. The Tennessee game, the offense was a slog. You have the Duke game where there was like a, a handful minute stretch in the second half where you just kind of went into hibernation offensively. Uh, the Oklahoma State game in the first half, you, you hit kind of a lull there. You have the um, a TCU game where basically just your offense wasn't working in general. Iowa State game, same thing. Like, uh, even I guess a little bit of the the first half against Baylor. Like, there have been times that heck to finish the game against TCU the last five minutes, where this team has had a, a scoring stretch where they just they can't score. And I don't know that that is kind of just a college basketball thing in general. Um, so maybe it's not that big of a deal, but. Kind of back in line with with your first pick, the lack of energy or having a bad start. If you have like a a bad eight minutes where you score two points, like that can be the difference in you losing a game if it happens in the second half. Yes. So that'll be my third pick. Wait, wasn't that your fourth pick? No. Oh, you have your fourth pick. Oh. All right, my fourth pick is bad at turnover game. I have a lot of turnovers. In all five of Kansas's losses. They have had minimum 15 turnovers at every loss. That's a lot higher than average. Mm. That's a lot higher than what they've normally done this season. So if you have a game where you have bad turnovers, and I, this kind of ties in with Dewan Harris a little bit because he handles the ball so much, but it doesn't, I mean, Dewan could maybe have a decent game and you still not turn the ball over a lot, right? Yeah. So th- this is this one's very, very important because it, it, it links back in with you know, the, the idea of if you get down early and you're turning the ball over, you're going to be in trouble. And I guess I've based a lot of my picks for this on just looking at how Kansas has lost their past games. And this is another example yeah. of that. This is something that has consistently popped up in the games they've lost this season. Yeah. So exactly what you said with the 15 turnovers. Also, if we go by turnover rate, KU's four, four worst games by turnover rate are all losses. And their fifth loss to Kansas State is their ninth worst game in turnover rate. But games that they don't turn it over, they they win and they win easily. And like, 
You know, if you look at games where they didn't turn the ball over, it's some of their best offensive performances, like the yeah. Baylor game or the Kansas State game and Allen Fieldhouse or the Kentucky game or like at Oklahoma State. Like those games are all the Texas game. Like those are all under 15% turnover rate. So uh, that's a good one for your fourth one. For my last one, I'm going to go with, and, and this is a little less dependent on KU necessarily, but this is a uh, tried and true formula. <laughs> the other team just gets hot from three. I mean, it happens to KU all the time. It almost yeah. happened to Creighton last year, but Kansas was able to kind of weather the storm and, and get through it. Um, that just yeah. is kind of an inevitable thing that sometimes happens to KU. It, it can't happen. Yeah. Happened to Oregon in the Elite Eight, you know. Villanova multiple times. Yeah. 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 So like almost all of your tournament losses. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's just it sucks. It sucks. And yes, there's a part of you that's like, well, maybe you should do just something play different better to defense. defend the three point line. Just play I don't better know. defense, Derek. Derek, just play better sure. defense. But sometimes there's only so much you can do there is when no, Tyler no, 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 Dorsey no, no, no. is shooting a contested three and banking there it. There is in. no sometimes. Either just play better defense or you suck. <laughs> okay. All right, that's an easier way to talk about it. So the other team gets off from three. That'll be my last one. All right, long story short, KU ain't going to lose, but if they might lose, maybe this is <laughs> why. why. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joins us in 15 minutes. Uh, we'll talk some college basketball next. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And uh, we'll have our KU mailbag coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. So any last-second questions, hit us up at RCST1320. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, who you can hear on the call Saturday. Kansas takes on West Virginia. Pre-game will start at 1.30, tip-off at 3 o'clock across the Jayhawk radio network. You can also hear it on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Uh, Brian, yesterday me and Nick drafted the biggest reasons why KU can win the national title uh, amid some of those answers. Uh, we had, you know, the fact that you just have Bill Self. He's a really good coach. You have experience and uh, little things like that. Today, we drafted uh, reasons what would keep them from doing so, to which, you know, we drafted if if the there's a bad rebounding game or if Dewan Harris has a bad game, uh, things to that nature. Uh, as far as top of the list for both of you, uh, what's the biggest reason why, if you think that if Kansas were to win the title, what do you think the biggest reason we'd look back on why? And on the flip side of that, if they fall short, what do you think the biggest reason would be uh, looking back on that? Wow, that's a that's a loaded question there. That might take our full fifteen minutes here, but <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I think that you know they're obviously in a night and day different position than they were three weeks ago when. Jalen Wilson scores 26 in Ames, and the rest of the starters combined for 18, and we just kind of looked punchless, and Grady Dick was uh, a little more inconsistent at that portion of the season. He'd have a good game and then two quieter games, and Kevin McCullough was in a shooting funk. DeWan Harris had had the, the three-game spell after landing on his face in Manhattan where he wasn't quite the same guy, and you know, he just looked like a team that was going to only go as far as Jalen took them, and you know, had a lot of question marks after him. Well, ironically, as he's hit a little bit of a rough patch in terms of his offensive efficiency, you've really seen these other players emerge. And so to me, that just makes us such a much more complete team that we've seen these other players really step to the forefront and right now are, you know, attacking with confidence and, and they're defending the way that Bill Self wants them to now. And you know, that that goes back to Monday night. It was kind of interesting if you if you listen to Hawk Talk on Tuesday 
coach was giving me grief because I was asking him so much about Saturday. Historic, down 17, go up 18, ultimately win by 16 for a 33-point swing. Uh, and, and, of course, it was so great to have ESPN game day there. And the, Half of the national champions were sitting right behind the bench and just felt like one of those memorable days in the fog. And he said, man, you really like that game. It's like, I much preferred Monday. And uh, he <laughs> talked about how, you know, Monday – they they defended so well and the intensity was was such that uh, that's what he's been calling for. We talked about this on a previous report about a month ago when he was clamoring for his guys to play with such a fire about them that they would make the other team look bad. It doesn't need to be artistic, as he likes to call it. It doesn't need to be pretty. Uh, but he wants to play with our hair on fire to the point where you make the opposition look a fraction of what they're capable of. And when you go on the road to TCU and you hold them to 30% shooting in their own house and you get all those big stops, yes, it was not a pretty game necessarily with Jalen struggling to score. And, you know, uh, a lot of you know times you, you see games like that that you barely get to 50 or 60 points, and, and that was the case with this one. But the way they were able to grind it out when they didn't have everything going for them, that showed the head coach – that this team is capable of winning ugly. They're capable of bringing the intensity where regardless of whether it's a good shooting game or not, you can still impose your will because, as he astutely points out, you're going to have at least one of those type games along the road to, to six wins in March if you're talking about a national championship. So the, the short answer to your first question of you know what would it take for Kansas to win it all, to bottle up that defensive buy-in, and every player and their dog right now keeps using the term energy. And it goes back to the loss in Ames and a player's meeting that was held right afterwards before the Texas game, and they've all been bringing greater energy. Well, now that's really showing up defensively, and, and if they can be that, then I, I think with what I opened by talking about, the emergence of some of these other offensive weapons, it just makes you much more of the typical Bill Self brand of basketball and a much more difficult scout and dynamic team to stop. And so, to me, that that's the biggest key. Why wouldn't they win it? I, I think that you know, if, if you allow shooters to to catch fire like we saw, and it doesn't even out in the second half, like TCU for example, they just kept them coming and they ran us out of the gym. We we, we can certainly uh, be had. And you know, if you recall, if you roll back the tape. On last week's interview, you asked me for keys to a win over Baylor, and I said, well, we can't do what uh, we did versus TCU and allow Flagler and Cryer and George to settle in and, and catch fire early. Well, geez, we did exactly <laughs> that, and we still won, which is nuts. So in, in some regards, I was right to say we can't have that happen, but nobody could have thought that they'd flip the script as fast as they did, unless, of course, you've been watching 20 years of Bill Self basketball in the field house where sometimes crazy things just happen. Ask Bob Huggins in 2017 when West Virginia was up 14 with 242 to go and Kansas found a way. I mean, it's just nuts, these performances we keep seeing time and time again. But for Kansas, I think the defensive intensity has to be bottled up and sustained. And then I want to see you know, these other supporting cast members continue to, to gain confidence, whether it's Harris or Dick or KJ. And then hopefully, you know, the, the national player of the year steps up. I, I was quoting Nick's favorite rapper during the broadcast Monday, the real Slim Shady. Please stand up. Please stand up. I said, with the real Jay Will, please stand up. And uh, 
he did on the glass. He didn't exactly in, in scoring the ball, but you'd like to see him you know, work through this rough patch, just like Ochai did you know, in late February and early March last year. And let's be clear, Jalen's recent skid isn't anything close to what Ochai was dealing with. But if you get him back to playing you know, at that All-American level, and now you have all these other weapons around him that are so much more confident and aggressive compared to what we saw in Ames. Suddenly, this team looks like they're number one with a bullet. This team looks like they're the one of ones. So let's hope they can keep that coming. Yeah, we talked about the TCU game earlier this week, obviously after the big win. And I was curious, do you think that that game was Bill Self's favorite win of the season so far, just because of the nature of it, the gritty grinding of it, the fact that it was on the road in a tough environment and they were able to win it? Would you say that was his favorite win of the season so far? Wow, great question. You know, it might have been just because those are the staples that uh, you know that he tries to hang his hat on and has tried to to make it the backbone of this program for the last two decades. And it was also a get back game. And we're not going to talk about stealing their basketball and the t-shirts and all that stuff, but. He admitted on Hawk Talk on Tuesday that it means something to the staff that they've only ever been swept in a Big 12 home-and-home home twice in 20 years. That's something that whoever has the scouting report takes extra pride in. And the fact that TCU punked us pretty good in the first meeting, but we went back there and got him back by, by playing the way he wants to play and, and locking him up and, and putting the preseason Big 12 player of the year in a blender and, and, and making sure Mike Miles didn't go off, making sure Eddie Lampkin, despite all of his uh, – uh, jawing and, and antics and waving the crowd that you silenced him, you know, and, and so I, I think based on toughness, personal pride, and setting the tone defensively, you may have hit the nail on the head. That might just be his favorite win to date, but let's hope it doesn't end that way because it would be an awfully short march if that ends up being our high water mark. I don't know how much the the team saw the early NCAA tournament reveal where they were the fourth one seed. I, I don't know if that was used as motivation at, at all, but uh, where it currently stood, it, it had Kansas as that fourth one seed where they were going out to the West as opposed to being in the Midwest, which obviously this year gets extra attention because of the fact that it is in Kansas City. Um, anytime you know you, you ask somebody, well, what would you prefer? Would you prefer here or there? Uh, you know, everybody brings up that 2017 game against Oregon in Kansas City for good reason, as a reason that they don't really care anymore about where they're at. But do you have a preference? Do you think KU has a preference uh, about where they wind up regionally? It's a great example you give, and it's why Bill Self has said on a couple of occasions this season he'd be okay with having to go elsewhere. Um, obviously, we have bad memories in Louisville and Kansas City for Elite Eight games, so I'd like to stay away from Louisville at least. But, um, you know, whether it's New York or whether it's Vegas, I and mean, you've got challenges and distractions in any of those places. I, for one, would prefer they stay in Kansas City. I just think there's a, a familiarity with. That arena, those rims, the, the, the routine that they go through for you know four or five days in the same hotel every year that, that makes you feel right at home. And obviously the NCAA picture hotels, and so you wouldn't be staying in the exact same spot. But my point is there's a certain comfort and familiarity that comes with a place that you go to annually. And so regardless of what happened versus Oregon and the letdown when everything seemed poised to go to the Final Four in 2017, I still think. Kansas City, where you could have a significant six-man home court advantage, you know, and, and a crowd to, to fuel, uh, you know, the, the wind in your sails. I, I still think that's what this team would prefer to do. And, and despite what Coach Self said about, well, it might not be the worst thing to go elsewhere. I think deep down, they'd feel really good if they played well enough to lock up Kansas City. 
We're talking with Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks here. This will be the second meeting for the West Virginia matchup. The The first one was one of KU's more comfortable wins early on in, in the first half of the season. They won 76-62 out in uh, Morgantown. What do you remember most from that first meeting, and, and what sticks out to you about this second go-around? I remember the gun going off the most. <laughs> okay. The premature musket fire that happened. That's probably the most memorable thing. But I also remember that Kedrian Johnson didn't play, and that was a factor. And, you know, for a program that's gone up there and lost a lot, or at least gone up there and had to really grind out the wins they did get, to play from out in front, to hit shots early, to keep them at bay, and, and never really, you know, have them threatened in the second half was a great breath of fresh air with, with that historically being one of the tougher spots for Coach Self in Kansas. But Coach Self said today at his press conference that Kedrian Johnson is as good of a ball-hawking guard as they will have faced all year. And so he expects that to be a factor. You know, Stevenson was only 4-14 in the first meeting. We did a great job taking him away and frustrating him. But he's capable of, of showing so much more. So I hope we come out and, and you see some of that second half defensive intensity that we saw versus Baylor. You see that right out the gates. And Kansas kind of puts their foot on the throat early because both these next two opponents, though they're tied for eighth in the Big 12 standings and all that, they're both still within striking distance of NCAA tournament inclusion and both probably need at least two wins the rest of the way to stay included. Tech's non-con record hurts them. Or not their non-con record, but their non-con strength of schedule, I should say comparatively to West Virginia, but they've both done just enough in the last month to still have a shot. You know, if you were taking on Tech on Tuesday on senior night and, and their fate was already sealed, NIT is the best they can hope for, yada, yada, then, you know, you don't worry as much about it. But these are both desperate teams that nothing would look better on their resume than a win in Allen Fieldhouse. And keep in mind, Huggins has, has never won here with his alma mater. And uh, in the case of Texas Tech, they've won here just once. And I'll give you my favorite quote. You've probably heard me say it five times, but my first year as the voice of Tech basketball, we came up here and Chris Walker was the head coach. He was an interim coach, kind of like the situation at Texas this year, although much different circumstances. Um, and, and his assignment for the last game of the regular season in his interim year was to go to Allen Fieldhouse and play KU on senior night, where now the Hawks have, have won it for 40 straight years. And, and he said, Brian, Getting the schedule of playing in the fog on senior night is like walking into a lion's den wearing a meat necklace. Mm-hmm. And he was absolutely right. You know, and, and uh, so certainly that's, that's a tall pass for Tech on Tuesday, but they've got AMAC back. They're playing much better than what we saw. And, and obviously that game came down to the wire way back in January. So looking forward to both of these. And I just hope our guys are as dialed in as uh, they've been these last five, just because the, the team across from you is a little bit lower in the standings and doesn't have a number next to their name. Doesn't mean they still can't come in and beat you. Just look at how tight Oklahoma played in Lawrence, Oklahoma state as well. So it'd be, it'd be nice to put it on a pretty good and, and, and have some separation start to finish both Saturday and Tuesday. With how the Big 12 schedule shook out, you had some teams that you played twice in really short fashion, and then you've got a couple teams here with Texas Tech and West Virginia that it's been a while since Kansas has seen them. What do you think some of maybe the the positives or negatives are of of having more of a gap between uh, the previous matchups with these two teams coming up next for Kansas? Well, Self talked about this in kind of a irritated way when they had to turn around and, and play 
teams like Iowa State and K-State in really short windows. He said, if you're only playing a team two weeks or three weeks apart and you have a key injury, or they do, it goes both ways, obviously, um, you might not see that player at all. But, you know, if you space them out by eight weeks or so, then, then you'll take on a much different team the second time around. It's more challenging, certainly, because you can't just dust off the same scouting report you had back in January. Not that they would ever do that. But uh, it's, it's definitely, you know, a different look with Kedrian Johnson of West Virginia and AMAC of Texas Tech. So these are things that I think, uh, you know, make this a tougher matchup for Kansas, a tougher scout, certainly. And, and yet, that's probably the way it should be. To, uh, to face, if you're going to have a double round robin schedule, and this is the last year that we will, but you, you should face them out because teams go through highs and lows and peaks and valleys over the course of their respective years. And if you're playing somebody 14 days after you played them the first time, I don't think you get a true, a true representation of what they are in different portions of the year. And uh, I think the good news for Kansas is, as we talk about you know, West Virginia and Tech having additional talent this time around, we're also playing a much more impressive brand of basketball, much closer to our optimal potential. And I think that uh, that obviously you can't go without saying when you talk about West Virginia and Tech looking at Kansas and thinking, oh, brother, you know, they they were not nearly this good when we saw them in Lubbock and in Morgantown. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on the action Saturday through the Jayhawk Radio Network. Pre-game 1.30, tip-off at 3 o'clock. You can hear that on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. Brian, thanks for the time as always, man. And uh, before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. And hey, real quick, you know, we talk about guys that will play that didn't play the first time. You know, Ernest didn't play the first time because he had a two-and-a-half-week stretch there where he didn't play at all in league play because he hadn't entered the self-circle of trust. Have you guys seen it? It's now 20 straight shots he's hit. And <laughs> KU's not really publicizing it because that's spread out all the way back to the Seton Hall game. So it's not like he's putting up five shots a night and, and uh, you know, it's, it's hit at this amazing clip. But he's, he's got a chance at several efficiency records if the sample size proves to be long enough. And, and that's an example of a piece that KU didn't have the first time around. So we look forward to seeing the effect that has as well. Are, are yeah, you aware? Oh, sorry. Are you aware if anybody that anybody has ever shot 100% all in conference play? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if they have unless you're talking about a uh, big game James Sosinski or something like right. that, you know, some walk-on who came in and, and one for one two for two. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty special. So we'll keep our eyes on that. And I hope I didn't just jinx him by bringing it up today. But uh, but Nate Miller, he's got a great game plan for you and your financial future. Check him out at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Whether you've already got some investments and already have a portfolio you're proud of and you just want to uh, get it in tip-top shape and, and have some new direction, or maybe you're starting up your financial future for the first time, he'll sit down and have those conversations with you. So check him out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. Always a pleasure, guys, and we'll look forward to chatting next week as we head to Austin, hopefully – hopefully with at least a share already tucked away, but it might be winner-take-all, which would make for an unbelievable finish to the best year in Big 12 basketball conference history. Certainly it would. That's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Cue the disclaimer. Ryan is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Ryan does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, that was Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, here on Saturday, pregame one thirty, tip-off 3 o'clock. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. KU Mailbag, next. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. 
KU Mailbag in just a second. Are you looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio has you covered. They are located right off I-70, just five minutes from downtown Lawrence. You can check out some of their upcoming events, or you can book one for yourself with Venue 1235. Get your mailbag time, baby. Sponsored by Nick Springer. Best segment of the week mm-hmm. right here. First up. Wait, if I sponsor it, do I do I get anything? No, that means you're paying me to sponsor it. Wait, what? <laughs> Money well, but don't I get anything it. for it? Uh, you get, I don't know, you can buy yourself something. Like like what? Like a t-shirt. Like, like what on the t-shirt? Uh, Anything I want? Yeah, whatever you want. And you're sponsoring it. Do what you want. What would I put on a t-shirt? I'll think about that. Ask me questions. Okay, this one from Bob. You can clone any KU player and add them to the team as many times as you want, but every time you do, that player loses three inches no, 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 of standing. No, no, no. You, missed, you didn't oh, read sorry. the most critical part. That player part. and their clone loses three inches of standing height. Do you do it to who and how many times? So this is kind of like a... It's almost like a Russian nesting so doll like, situation. Yeah, it's like imagine, you know, you, you can like, make more, but they're going to get smaller. Yeah, you, like you cut off a chunk of one guy to use it to grow another. But then you, so you've, you know what I mean? You've, yeah. You've lowered the Right. Height. So hypothetically, if I clone Grady Dick, we now have two Grady Dicks, but, but they five. are. They're both 6'8". What's five. his listed height? 6'8". I don't believe that for a second. He's 6'8". Yeah, sure he is. Yes, he He's is. 6'6 or 6'7". Look at his listed height at 6'8". But do you believe that? Yes, I do. Okay. Do I believe that Joe is 6'1 or whatever? No. I think Grady? he's 6'7. No, he's 6'8. All right, whatever. We'll go by listed height. So he would be 6'5. Okay. But you could have okay. two of them. So here's the deal. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can justify cloning any of the guards because you have like 5'9 <laughs> to one. But you'd have, you'd have yeah. two of them. So like maybe he'd be pesky enough that it might be worth it. So but. I'm just assuming here if, if you lose three inches of height, you lose three inches of wingspan too, right? Oh, you think so? Yes. Okay. Otherwise, it well, doesn't really matter. Well, that, that kind of ruins one of my answers because I was I was gonna suggest you pick Ernst because you'd have a you'd basically have a taller. That's so absurd. You'd have you'd have a taller, you'd be like longer, six seven with a seven four wingspan. Yeah, you'd have a taller, longer version of freshman year KJ. Okay. But you'd have two of them. No, I I think if you lose height, you lose <laughs> wingspan with that too. Even still, I think Ernst is a reasonable pick because uh, again, you'd have a taller, longer. Athletic version of freshman like year six, KJ, seven with like a seven one wingspan. So yeah, I mean yeah, he could kind of be a small ball five there. And then, but, that, but he's, are he's you, literally KJ? I don't think longer. that's a good answer though, because why do you need to clone him? Do you need two of those for foul purposes? But you already have KJ and and Ernest. You wouldn't have Ernest. Worst you'd have KJ and two more. Him. You'd have KJ and two more. But two Ernest's. lesser Ernests that are six seven now. I think that's a horrible answer. No offense. I think that's a horrible answer. I don't think you can pick the guards. I don't think you can pick Jalen. I don't think you pick any of the centers. The you issue need them to have with, height. The issue with picking Grady. Actually, no. I take that back. I have an answer here. Okay. What if you cloned Zach Clements twice? So now you have three. <laughs> what is but Zach Clements? shoot that? really well. You have three, six, four Zach, Zach Clements. Clements. But they can shoot well. So they're just shooting guards off the bench. And I don't know how much any of them play, but you have <laughs> options to go to for guys that can Wait, come in. Zach like, Clements hasn't even been a good shooter. That's true. He, he Allegedly, he's a good shooter. 
Allegedly. Uh, that's fair. Okay. You can't do um, any of the guards, I don't think. I don't think you can do Jalen. If you if you pick Grady, here's the deal with Grady. What makes or what is one of the traits of Grady, especially three point shooting wise, that we think makes him like a good three point shooter? High release, yeah, a quote unquote unblockable shot, right? If you make him six five, that take that that takes that away. He'd still be a really He'd good still three be a really point good shooter. Three though. point shooter. Yes. He just wouldn't be as good. But I, I yes. think you would have a second one though. And if if you have two of them on the court at the same time, both, yeah. it's harder yeah. to guard them. And now they're getting more open threes, so the and percentage might actually yeah, go and up. You can't pick Kevin either because no, he needs the length. He, he needs for the defense. length. He needs, yeah, for defense. Like you, you'd you'd basically just be you'd be hurting your defense more than anything yeah. else. Yeah, and it's like well, you could say, but the defense would, even if Kevin's losing length, you have two of them on the court. Yeah, but what is the offense I had, if you have two? I Kevin had not McCullers? considered the Zach Clements aspect of this, where you just clone a guy, one of the centers, <laughs> enough times to where he's short, and if he's a good shooter, then there you go. Yeah, like um, you can do this, you can make the same argument with Cam Martin. Just make like yeah. four Cam Martins. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're all six one, right? Six one, but they I, all are shooters. I think the only the, or the best answer is for sure Grady, though. Probably the yeah. only question to That's me the is the best one where you do you clone like, him once or twice. Only once. Okay. Two six five Grady. So you have two six five Grady's. I think that's the right answer there. Because then and you one have of them listen, starts and the others you're your first off the bench. Yes. Yeah. One of them starts and the other one's your sixth man. Yeah, you're draining threes for days. That's a fun question. That's kind of that's kind of cheating though. If you can just bring the same player off the bench as your, well, is it not? Is that not kind of cheating? How is that any different than a team who has twins? Because they're not the same player. Uh, close in enough. In this hypothetical scenario, you would literally bring on. You'd say Grady, you're out. Grady, you're in. I mean, it's the same when KU had Marcus and Markeith Morris. It's the same like last year when Iowa had, had Chris and they still uh, have the different, other Murray. Uh, they still have, even if you have twins, they still have not exactly the same skill set. They're so close. Like, who's who's to say that the clone doesn't have different skill sets too? Why would it? It's a clone. I mean, twins are basically genetically cloned. Not that, no. Close enough. No. Not close. a literal clone. Close. No. I disagree. All right. Uh, somebody asked us a question about cloning next week. Uh, Jeff, <laughs> what is too cold for ice cream? Okay. The short answer is it's never too, never too cold for ice cream. So there's two aspects to this question that I think we need to divulge into here. Number one, obviously, we're talking about the outside temperature. Is it is there is there a temperature where it's too cold where you would say, no, I don't want ice cream? No, because for me, ice cream is not about, like, cooling myself off. It's about eating something that I enjoy. So you wouldn't. So even if it was like well, negative, even if like negative twenty degrees, you'd be like, yeah, let me get some ice cream. Okay, so like if I'm standing outside and it's negative twenty degrees, and somebody's like, do you want this scoop of ice cream? I'm gonna be like, no, I'm standing outside. It's negative twenty, sir. But if it's negative twenty out, and you're in your house, I'm, and I'll still eat ice cream. Your cozy up. on. You're cozied up, yeah. and you're gonna get yourself a nice bowl of ice cream. Yes, not like hot chocolate. That has like no that. impact on anything. I don't, don't care. So? I'll eat the ice cream anyway. Okay, the second part to this mm-hmm. question that I don't I don't know if uh, Jeff was was if this is what he was actually meaning or not is is when you eat the ice cream, is there an optimal temperature of the ice cream itself, or is, is it there is there a point where it it becomes too cold, the ice cream itself, <laughs> no, for like brain freeze so. purposes. I don't think so either. No. So you're telling me like even if it was like literally the coldest it could possibly be, well, like that- you eat it and it's instant brain freeze. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> Hypothetically, there, sure. Then that's too cold for ice cream. But no, for the most part, like I, I'm not eating things outside when it's cold, so I okay, don't think fine. it matters. Sure, fine. No, that's fine. 
No, ice cream's I, good. I, I would tend to agree. All I mean, times. I think I eat ice cream like about the same amount throughout yeah. the whole year. So it's not like I eat more in the summer and less in the winter or vice versa. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, if heaters didn't exist and we were living like cavemen in caves and it got colder and hypothetically we still had ice cream somehow, <laughs> uh, then yeah, sure. Uh, it, maybe that's too cold. But uh, okay. no. Okay. Don't really care about it. That's Bradley, if walk-on points were worth double, would Michael Jankovic be the best player in the country? Uh, this is interesting. So here's how I'm going to view this question. If you make walk-on points double, walk-on points are double for every team in the country. Yeah, but the problem is so, I don't know any of the other walk-ons. So Michael Jankovic, I don't think would be the best because there's probably some other walk-on on another team that might be better. You think there's like some but walk-on also, on if this Duke was a who was rule, like a three-star recruit or well, something? If, there's, if this was a real thing and walk-on scored double points, wouldn't then the call, the whole recruiting world be completely upside down? Like you want to recruit, nobody be offering. You would want to recruit yeah. sucky players. And then try to convince guys to walk on. Yeah. So that they would score double points. Yeah, okay, let's just let's let's use this hypothetical as just Michael Jankovic. His points are worth double. Okay. What is his role on the team? Is he he has to start, right? <laughs> he makes a three, it's worth six points. I mean I don't I don't I don't think, think about he, Okay, think about that. I don't think he starts. If you just I don't view think it, he starts. No, 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 stop. Hold I on. really don't think he starts. If you just view it as points per possession, right? Because it's worth double, okay. if he only shoots twenty-five percent from three. That is now the equivalent of a 50% three-point shooter. That means if he shoots if he shoots 35% from three, which would be a good number, but, I mean, I don't know. He's really good at shooting threes. That would be equivalent to somebody shooting 70% on high volume. He has to start. I don't care that the defense <laughs> would not be good. Who are you starting him over? Brady? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. It does matter. Because if he never hits a shot, then but it he- does matter. But that's what I'm saying. Well, wouldn't shoot- the other team just triple team him then? Or double team him or whatever? Okay, great. Then you have one guy who's wide open every play. <laughs> he would be he would be the greatest offensive force in college basketball history. Think about that. That's not hyperbole. That's not. Because No, yes it is. No, it's not. Even if if he hits if he only hits two threes a game, that's only twelve points. But it's 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 about the percent. The most efficient player, I guess, is is the way that I should put this. <laughs> okay. Because for instance, like Doke had a year where he shot what, like seventy five percent from yeah. the field. Shooting fifty percent from three is equivalent to shooting seventy five percent from two in terms of the points per possession. Okay, sure. And again, if Jankovic is getting double points, he only has to shoot twenty five percent from three to be the equivalent of Udoka's seventy five percent from two. And if you think he can shoot higher than twenty five percent, which I do. Again, if you're even saying 30%, 30% is the equivalent of shooting 90% from two <laughs> because it's worth double. He would be the most efficient offensive player of all time. You would just be running every possible set to get him open. And again, if teams double or triple team him, other guys are going to be wide open. You would have the best offense in college basketball. He has to start. And yes, he would at, at that point, he would win national player of the year because the guess- efficiency would be off the charts. Yeah, if the defense if was he that. Hits, I mean, he could be the worst hits, defensive player in the country. It if wouldn't he hits matter. Three threes a game, that's 18 points a game right there. But I, right? I think what you're missing is that they, if, if this is a rule, they are going to draw up like how many shots does Jalen get a game? 15 to 20? Yeah. Jankovic is, is firing you off get him all those 12 shots? to 15 threes a game. Seriously. <laughs> because it's worth double. There were six, and the efficiency's off the charts. Okay. So at that point, he know. might make 
four, five a game, six, and it's going to be, you know, 18 to 30 points on incredible <laughs> efficiency. So even if he's, okay. he's the worst defensive player in college basketball, which he, he could is, be, he is the best offensive player in college basketball history or the best <laughs> offensive or most efficient or best shooter, however you want to view it, because okay. they are worth six points. So you start yeah. him over someone. I don't know who. You figure it out. Okay. All right. Glad we got to the bottom of that one. Uh, Jayhawk <laughs> for life. What is the best sporting event of all time? March Madness, NBA playoffs, NFL playoffs, etc. Hmm. March Madness is pretty good. The Super Bowl, I think, is pretty good. Yeah, I think this depends. Do you view it as a... Does the event have to be a one game? Or does it? can it be the whole event? Because if it's one game, you can't take March Madness. No, I think you can still. No, it's like a. But, but when you say like, if you were to say like sporting spectacles, yeah, they would be in the same category: yeah. Super Bowl and March Madness. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would say. But see, if you narrow it down to an individual game, I think you have to go with probably I I, I don't know just Super what Bowl. Super Bowl or maybe like Game Seven. I like I like something. I like uh, I like motorsports, so I like the Indy Five Hundred. Okay. That's a pretty good spectacle. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good event. But yeah, if, like. you're, if you're going with like a whole like it could be the entire NBA playoffs or the entire NFL playoffs or then March Madness, I think it has to be March Madness. Probably yeah. I do love bowl season. That would be up there nice. for me. I love bowl season. Bowl season but no, nice. not, and nothing touches. But March bowl Madness season now is not as good as bowl season used to be. Yeah, you have players opting out. Yeah, like in the BCS era, bowl season was nice. Yeah. When you still had in the BCS era, you still had the teams who were in the BCS bowls still had like at least some of the top ones still had uh, in the back of their mind like, hey, if we win big enough and the title game (laughs) sucks, like maybe we could get an AP poll split title like happened with USC. So, yeah, um, yeah. I I, I definitely think March Madness, though, has to be the answer. Yeah, if we're talking collective events, it's got to be March Madness. Yeah, specifically the first week, man. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah. Uh, Carl, do you view Bill Self, or I'm sorry, do you think Bill Self will ever go back to the combo scoring point guard, or will his success with Dewan make him more likely to go for a true point guard type in the future? This is an interesting question because I I almost feel like it it will come down to what's available, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Self has shown not only at the point guard position or the guard position, but at the center position, at the power, at every position on the floor, Bill Self has shown a an ability to work with whatever he has. Basically, I mean, I think that that might be the most overlooked and yet most important trait of Bill Self's greatness is that he's he finds ways to win using so many different combos of of player archetypes, of lineups, of different styles of basketball. Like that's the most impressive thing to me about Bill Self is. He's had teams with dominant big men. He's had teams with great shooting. He's had teams with, you know, whatever com- whatever combination you can think of. He's had a team like that. And he's not only has he done that, but he's had success with those teams. So I, I think it'll be just be more of whatever he, I-, I don't know. I mean, maybe he might, but it just depends. I mean, like, you know, if, if another Devon Dotson comes down the pipe and wants to come to Kansas, is Bill Self going to tell him no because he wants a true point guard? No, he's going to take Devon Dotson. Yeah. He's going to take Frank Mason. He's going to take whoever. So, no, I, th- I think that's exactly it. Like, you, you go, you recruit the best players you can, and then you figure it out once they get here. And that's that's the greatness of Bill Self, yes. is that he consistently, over the last 20 years, has done that. Now, if, if you're asking him what he prefers, 
you you could make the argument that we've seen him evolve from you know the two big lineups to then the two little guard lineups to with with one big to then now playing this switchable versatile ball with three wings that maybe he's going to like to play at that style and maybe that style is benefited by having uh, more of a pass first point guard or something but yeah I I think you're right it's you get the best guy and you kind of make it work from there and I don't really like maybe he does view it as hey I really like playing with the three wing style. But I don't think he would really have a, a preference at that point. I mean, think about it last year. Like, you had one of each. You had Remy Martin, the scoring guy. You had Dwan Harris, more of this style. So, yeah. it is kind of dependent on on just what you specifically get. I don't think he's going to, uh, I guess, pinpoint, like, one and say, I'm only going after that. Now, maybe if you asked him, like, which would he prefer? Well, if, like, both things were being equal? He'd prefer to have a team of five Daves. Yeah. I. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that... I don't know. That's tough because, like, Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, those are the scoring types. dewan has been so good here, and you want a title. So, I don't know. I, I don't think he has a preference, to be honest. Yeah. This one from Evan. If KU loses to West Virginia or Texas Tech at home, would it be their worst home loss of the Bill Self era? Hmm. Interesting. Let's let's go through a refresh yeah, of all the, the home losses. Yeah, there's, of the Bill I mean, Self there's era. not that many, so there's it not, doesn't take that long. No, there's 17 because they had one this year. Uh, I'm only counting the games in Allen Fieldhouse, just for the sake of this, you know. Well, isn't that what home loss? What you- I know, but some people are like when they'll lose a game at the Sprint Center where it's technically on the oh. season ticket package. They'll no. be like, oh, it's a home loss. No, I don't, no I don't care. that doesn't count. All right, so 2003-2004 season, you lost to Richmond, 69-68. You would think that would be a bad loss. Richmond ended up 38th in Ken Palm that year. You lost by one. It was the first season of Bill Self. I don't know if that would be in the discussion. 2005, you lost to Iowa State, but Iowa State was middle of the pack in the Big 12. KU shared the league still. Uh, Iowa State beat them 63-61 in overtimes. You weren't embarrassed. I don't know. That one wasn't that bad. 2005-2006 season, in the non-con, you lost at home to Nevada, who was ended the year 37th on Ken Palm. You only lost by two. That didn't impact you winning the league. So, you know, I don't necessarily view that either. Um, 2006, this one would be in the discussion in terms of one of the worst opponents you've lost to at home. If you go by Ken Palm ratings at the end of the year, Kansas State finished that year 77th, which I think is the second worst home loss that Bill Self has had in terms of Ken Palm rating by the end of the year. He lost 59-55, but also... It happened in your second Big 12 game, so it had less repercussions, and you still won the league that year. Like, that's part of, if you lose to West Virginia or Tech at home here, the repercussions of it could be very severe to winning the Big 12. Yeah, you've got the combination of, like, obviously West Virginia and Tech are are competent teams, yeah. but they're 8th and ninth in the Big 12, and if you lose, yeah, it's really, it's really the implications of losing. Yeah, so... Uh, that one would be up there just by opponent, but it didn't have the repercussions. This one is in the 2006-2007 season. This one is the worst loss in terms of uh, lowest ranked team to finish the season in Ken Palm. Oral Roberts, KU lost 78-71. They finished the year 88th on Ken Palm. And KU that year, it obviously didn't affect the Big 12. It didn't affect KU from getting a one seed. But looking back, it's not just the fact that you lost to your worst home opponent of the Bill Self era. Kansas got the fourth overall one seed that year. And the importance to that is they were put in the West. UCLA was the two seed and basically had a home crowd for the game and they lost to him in the Elite Eight. Maybe if Kansas beats Oral Roberts, they end up with a better one seed and they end up with an easier path maybe to the Final Four or something. 
Could be. Maybe. Maybe not. But uh, that one certainly would be in the conversation. 2007, lost at home to AM with College Game Day. No, that was a good AM team. He still won the league. 2011, lost at home to Texas. That was a good Texas team. Still won the league. 2013, lost at home to Oklahoma State. Good Oklahoma State team. Still won the league. 2014, lost to San Diego State at home. That was a non-con game. San Diego State was really good. They made the Sweet 16 and almost beat a one-seed Arizona in the Sweet 16. So that, not there either. Uh, 2017, you lost in overtime to Iowa State. KU won the league by four games. Iowa State was pretty good. You lost in OT. That's not it. 17-18, you lost at home to Arizona State in December. Again, December game didn't impact the league or anything like that. Arizona State at that time was hot. Like They were a good team that year. Not the worst loss in the world. Uh, 2018, you lose at home to Texas Tech, 85-73. Tech ended up being really good. They made the Elite Eight that year. You beat them back. You ended up winning the Big 12, so not that one. Uh, this one, I think, would be in the discussion, too, though. Uh, this was that same 2018 season, which you did win the league, so I, I don't know. It didn't have the repercussions, but they were only ranked 59th in Ken Palm at the end of the year. That would be Oklahoma State, um, 84-79, to 79, and that one was a bad one. You had the anniversary in town, a lot of people in town, so that would be up there. It was kind of an embarrassing home loss. But it didn't have the repercussions. 2020, you lose to Baylor at home. Really good Baylor team. Didn't matter. Then the last three home losses they've had could all be thrown into this conversation for worst home loss. But it's not necessarily because of the opponent. They're all good opponents. It's just by how much you lost by. You lost by 25 to Texas in 2021. You lost by 18 to Kentucky in 2022. And you lost by 23 to TCU in 2023. All of those are against good opponents. So, So those are kind of the three factors you have to look at here. How good or bad was the opponent you lost to at home? How much did you lose by? And what were the repercussions? Yeah. I think if if you go by all those... If you lose to West Virginia or Texas Tech, it's top five? I think it would be the worst. Top three? Because the Oral Roberts, the one that one has is it's the worst opponent. So you check mark there. Yeah. It did have some repercussions with the one seed thing, though not Maybe. huge repercussions. I mean, I don't know. I mean it might like, not have mattered. When, when you I don't consider know. the ranking of the one seeds, like a game like that, it'd be like, it would be like subtraction by addition like it wouldn't be a quad one win like exactly but it just wouldn't be a bad loss yeah exactly so i don't know how much that impact so kind of a half check mark to that one um and then losing by a lot of points that didn't really happen so that would be like a one and a half check marks for the oklahoma state game didn't end up having repercussions you didn't lose by a lot but you know bad opponents that's one check mark uh for those last three losses you know good opponents you lost by a lot but didn't have repercussions so when you look at West Virginia and Tech, if you lose to either one but of if them, if you get blown out by one of them, yeah, yeah, I think worst. that's the answer. Yeah, yeah, which is crazy to think about. <clears throat> Just yeah. don't lose. Yeah, uh, this one from Oliver. Make a trade with this year and a past KU basketball team that helps both teams win the title. So I don't think you can pick a team for, that already did win a title. Okay, because you're trying to help both win a title. Okay, we came up with a couple off airs. We we're going over this. We did. We did. Uh, so the first one I want to mention. What if you traded Ernest Uday for the 2016-2017 version of Svi? So that's junior year Svi. So that wasn't senior year Svi was the one that took off. Junior year Svi was still a rotation player. He came off the bench a lot of games. And he was, he was a quality player for you. It hit some threes, but it wasn't the, the final rendition of him that you remember. Yeah. But if you, you take Ernest Uday off this team, which he's really coming into form, and you, you like having Ernest... But maybe you can still put Zuby edge for it. Let's not forget, Zuby was ahead of Ernest before he got injured in the Kentucky game. Yes. And 
for the 16-17 teams, Fee wasn't a starter. It was, you know, Frank and Devontae and LeGerald Vick and Josh Jackson at those kind of wing positions. But they didn't have big depth. It was Landon Lucas, and then Yudoka got hurt at the beginning of the year. You had, like, Dwight Colby and Carlton Bragg. You had Ernest Uday to that team with those guards around him. That's a lot of fun. Could be nice. Yeah. Uh, I went with the sophomore Devon Dotson for Dewan Harris. This one's super interesting. This one's interesting because... You can make a case I, both teams I, get better or worse. Yeah, I, don't I think know. both teams could maybe be worse, but also both teams could be better. Like, with Devon Dotson on this team... It's another guy that can create his own shot and is really aggressive with the ball. But also, like, this team has clearly benefited from having a great uh, guy that can distribute with DeWan Harris this year. So it might actually maybe hurt this team overall. I, I don't know. And then you look at, if you put DeWan Harris on that 1920 team, right, you look at the defense with Marcus Garrett and Doak and DeWan Harris, easily the best defensive team in the country. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Easily. But do you lose a little bit in scoring? But would it matter if your defense is that much better? Yeah, that's the thing. And also, like, instead of Doak averaging 13 a game because Dotson was at, like, 19, maybe with Dewan facilitating, now Doak Doak averages 17, right? And then maybe there's just more threes for Isaiah Moss, Ochag Baji, and and Christian Brown off the bench. Yeah. uh, That you're okay there. That's an interesting one. I also, a couple others I threw up there, uh, Cole Aldridge for KJ Adams. So the final year of Cole Aldridge for this KJ Adams. When I look at the the loss to Northern Iowa, does it help if they have a more mobile center to get out and guard like a stretch five? I don't know, Could but be. this team would be really but fun with Cole Aldridge, even too. Even if they did win that game, would KJ Adams have been enough to help them make a t- title run? Yeah, because that's the problem. Because overall, Cole Aldridge had a bigger impact on the season, even if it's just that one specific matchup. So maybe that's not a good one. How about this one? KJ Adams, MJ Rice, Zuby Edgefer, and Joe Yesifu for Thomas Robinson. Dude, you're trading the whole team. What? Well, okay. So for the 2011 You'd 12 be worse team, just by the nature of you wouldn't have anybody to play. But the 11-12 team, let's start with that. So it's like, oh, you take away a national player of the year candidate. How are you going to be better? Well, um, <laughs> one of the issues that hurt that team at times was like when they played Missouri, a team that could stretch the floor a little bit. They couldn't play the two bigs next to each other as much. Well, now if you have KJ at the four next to Jeff Withy, you're going to have really good defense. You can play those guys next to each other against one of those teams. And then that 2011-12 team didn't have the bench. So now MJ Rice is maybe getting a bigger opportunity than he's getting on this year's team. You have the bench big with Zuby Ejiofor. You have the bench scorer with Joe Yesifu, as opposed to maybe going to quote as many unquote, minutes for four. smaller guys. Yeah, bench. Quote this unquote, year's team, quote. you add Thomas Robinson to the five. Whoo! No, this is literally the dumbest one you could have suggested. Four players? You wouldn't have a team. Yeah, you You would. You would not have a team. You still have uh, your entire starting lineup, plus T-Rob. You still have Bobby off the bench. You still have your bench big men. No, you wouldn't. You traded two of them. No, but you'd have uh, Ernest still, and you'd have uh, Clemens and Cam Martin. They're all hurt. Well, you figure it out. If Thomas Robinson, he's playing 35 minutes a game. We're fine. No. Uh, last one. Today is National Banana Bread Day. This is from Larry. What is the best type of bread? Oh, banana bread is the best type of bread, actually. I think. Yeah, are we I talking about like? Up there. Are we talking about like like Types baked bread. bread or like what kind of bread? I guess I don't. I'm. I guess I'm a bit confused. Uh, I don't know. Sourdough bread. I love oh, okay. sourdough so bread. So we're talking like sandwich types of bread. Money. Some what? people call money bread. Oh. You're bringing home the bread? Wow, that uh, took me way too long to, to put that. Breadwinner? No, uh, that would be up there. Listen, my dad makes 
the most incredible banana bread of all time. I, I love banana bread. It's insane. Like, yeah. It's so good. What else is it's up there? It's literally the best bread I've ever had. There's lots of good breads. But like, uh, like would a like baguette? a croissant count as a sure. type of bread? Yeah, that's, croissant's those are, really good. Those are pretty good. Yeah. Love it. You no, know, just like regular wheat toast bread. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's what I'll get. All you know, bread is a, good bread. If I'm getting uh What's breakfast. the worst bread? Pumpernickel? What? I don't even know what that is. You don't know what pumpernickel is? Well, I know I know what it is, but like as a bread? Pumpernickel is a bread. What do I don't you- even know what that is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just making stuff up. All right. He's Nick Springer. Let me get some Wiener Schnitzel bread. <laughs> I'm Derek Johnson. That is our KU mailbag. What? This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We discuss who's lying. Lie detector test for this week on RCST. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer here. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk a little uh, KU basketball, Big 12 basketball. Going to be diving into how teams have done recently or how coaches have done in the first half of play versus the second half to see if we can draw anything away from that of you know, do the best coaches tend to do better in the second half? How has Bill Self done? Uh, some fun things that we'll look into in our next segment. All right, let's get into it. First up, lie detector test, Nate Oates. So uh, he, he meant, made the comment, wrong spot, wrong time about the Brandon Miller stuff. Then last night, yeah. Alabama goes, that, that's to be clear, that's not what we're going to lie detector test here. But uh, after the game last night, Alabama wins in overtime over South Carolina. They asked Nate Oates a question, and, uh, or, or I'm sorry, he was not asked a question yet, and he began by addressing the news conference. I'm not here to make excuses. I want to make it clear I didn't have the details from the hearing. I used a poor choice of words that made it appear I wasn't taking this tragic situation seriously. Do you believe him? Yeah, this is tough. This is a situation of basically not fully thinking before you give your comments, right? And if you're Nate Oates, like, there's two ways to look at this. Either one, he's telling the truth here, and he, he didn't have the full context of what was coming out about it. And just basically said some stuff, said used wrong phrasing or whatever to just to say what he was trying to say. Or two, he did know about it, and that kind of makes it even worse, right? So I, I don't know. It's it's tough. I mean, I feel like he's probably telling more truth than not here, but it's just a situation of like just bad PR management, I guess. Like. Like, you think of how many terrible PR moments we have in so many different areas that people would, people in those these types of positions would understand the gravity of their words a little bit more strongly. Yes. But so, yet, here we are. I will say, uh, so the attorney of Brandon Miller, and you yeah, can take this forward, released yeah. the statement, and he basically denied uh, the fact that Brandon Miller like brought the gut like basically what the attorney's accounting of the story was that um, Brandon Miller dropped off Darius Miles and Miles left the gun underneath a jacket that he couldn't see in his back car. Then he called him later telling him that the gun was in the car and telling him to bring it. Brandon Miller did come over there. So that's, you know, I don't know, a, a little bit of a inclination of, of some guilt at least there. But um, then after that, they they. He said that, yeah, you, you can look at, you know, video surveillance and all this stuff. And he did not, like, block in the victim. And he didn't get out of his car. He didn't participate in, like, the verbal altercations or anything. So uh, you take it for what it's worth. But certainly 
based on what NATO said last night, I, I I feel like if he was if he was taking this more seriously, then maybe I don't know, maybe Brandon Miller would have been suspended. I, I don't know. But then again, if you go off the the story from the attorney, which that's the attorney's job to get things on his side, so you take it with a grain of salt, yeah. but also. Again, if he wasn't charged by anything, then how can I view anything else? I don't know. This is a whole weird situation, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I believe him, I guess. Sure. Why not? The Jets. The Jets, quote, really believe, end quote, that former Raiders quarterback Derek Carr is the type of quarterback that can lead them to a championship, according to Jeff Darlington. Okay. Lead you to a championship? <laughs> I don't know about that. But. A division championship? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I I think the Jets might actually believe this. Like, the, the Derek Carr PR machine has been hard at work lately of hyping this guy up. And I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. And I've said before on the show that wherever he goes, if it's not the Raiders, I'll root for him. Oh, but, you know, I'll, I'll hope he has a success, finds some success. So, I, I don't know. I feel like the, the Jets, it's like... They've just botched drafting a quarterback so many times that this feels like almost a situation where they're like, you know, we've messed up drafting a quarterback so many times. Here's a veteran guy that has been pretty good but not great. And, you know, well, let's why not give why not? You know? Do we believe do I believe that he's could lead them to a championship? No. Of yeah. course not. So I, this is a couple ways. Uh on one hand, I think that the Jets might this believe is a it, lie. Though. But, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I wonder if they're talking themselves into it because otherwise, why well, go out and get a guy? But also, there's part of me that thinks this is a lie and they actually just think, no, he's he's going to be a good quarterback. He'll make us better. He might make us a playoff team. But I don't know if he's the guy to win us the championship. But they, they, they release this publicly because they know that Derek Carr has other suitors. Well, and remember, Derek Carr, depending on how you want to read some of the stuff at the end there with Las Vegas with the Josh McDaniel stuff, he might. He's maybe he's kind of fragile in the mind, so they don't want to. So they don't want to act wishy-washy on him. If they like, yeah. if they want to end up signing him, they want to be like, "Hey, this yep. is our guy. This is the man." So pump him up a little bit. Uh, this one from Mick Cronin, the UCLA head basketball coach. He uh, after their game over the weekend, uh, they came out as a two seed, and they were the last two seed at that. They were number eight overall. He blamed their seed not on the lack of good wins. He blamed it on UCLA leaving the Pac-12. That basically there is this vendetta out there by the NCAA to work against them. Is okay. he lying? This is a lie. First of all, it's stupid. Well, it's okay. clearly a lie, but do you think he is lying? Or do you think he actually believes it? I think he's lying. I think he's just saying something. He's trying to like motivate his know, team or something? He's got some kind of axe to grind with the NCAA. Because <laughs> here's the deal. Why would the NCAA care what conference no. you're in? They make money regardless. They don't care what seed you are. They don't care what conference they're in. It's all the same to them. So this is dumb. Like, this is just a stupid angle to take. Like, listen, there's probably so many other legitimate things that Mick Cronin could have said about why he thought that his team should have been a higher seed. To go with this? I think he's just mad at the NCAA for for some reason. I mean, listen, whatever reason he's mad at the NCAA for, it's probably a valid reason. Yeah. Because it's a clown show. But, like, I don't understand. (laughs) UCLA is a very good team. Uh, top five team on Ken Palm. You look at like strength of record numbers. They're a good team. Um, I don't know. Maybe they have what it takes to win the national title. But in my opinion, when you're doing the bracket, it is not based on who you think is a good team. It's based on what have you accomplished, what's your resume. Then you put it together, and then you let them play it out, see how really good they are. 
There are 24 teams in the country, Nick, that have more quad one wins than UCLA. UCLA is four and four against quad one. Have they ever thought to consider maybe if we had more good wins, we would be ranked higher? Play more quad one team. And how about Arizona, who's in the Pac-12 with them? And yeah, sure, they're not leaving, I guess, if you want to go that route. Not, again, to your point that they care. Arizona's 6-2 and two versus quad one. So maybe that's why they're the, the number six and the second highest two seed, and you're number eight. Yeah, that better sucks, against Big Conan. So, be better. Uh, this is clearly a lie in general, but do I think I, – I don't know. I kind of think Mick Cronin is – like, he does not believe this. And if he I does – I think he does. No. No. Surely not. I'd hope not, but why else say it, man? He's he's mad at the NCAA for something. Maybe. I guess. Uh, Coach K, sticking in college basketball, I guess post-college basketball circles, uh, on his post-Duke career, I don't miss coaching. I think this is the truth. I really do. I mean, did this guy look like he was having fun towards the end of his career? Hmm? No. He's old. He wanted to go, I don't know, do something else. I think I think this is true. But also, I don't care. I don't care about Coach K. I don't. No, I, I really I don't, don't think it's a lie either. But you could convince me that he's like, I don't miss coaching, but I do miss coaching. What do you miss? I don't know. Over coaching this Duke team and like. We would be a lot better if I was the coach. Like, I think that would be funnier if that was the answer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, uh, I retired, but if I didn't retire, we'd yes, be better. Yes, we'd be a lot better. This one from the Dallas Cowboys. Well, a report about the Cowboys from Pro Football Talk that the Cowboys are, quote, intrigued by C.J. Stroud. Okay. This is so <laughs> stupid because the Cowboys have, like, the 25th pick. You know what they'd have to do to go get him? They'd have to trade up, like... I don't know. It depends picks. where he goes. Yeah, definitely a lot of picks. Uh, maybe he's like the okay. So third part of the part of the seventh? article tries to spin this and claim that the Cowboys are saying they're intrigued by C.J. Stroud in order to force Dak into a better contract. So they're trying to get him Dak, to renegotiate. Dak has one year left on his contract. This next year is the last year on his contract. I'm pretty sure. So it's like they want to renegotiate and they want to say, oh, well, we're thinking about drafting another quarterback. So, Dak, you actually suck. And we want, well, you know, if you don't want less money, then we'll just go draft CJ Stroud. Um, Regardless, it's stupid. I think it's a lie. I think it's a lie, too. And I think it's stupid. Yeah. LeBron James on picking Kyrie Irving as part of the All Star draft last weekend, who he hoped would join the Lakers this year. Quote, it's always good to see him. I'm very proud of him. Very proud of the man that he has become in his life right now. <laughs> I don't think he's lying, but that's a little scary if he's not. Yeah, that's confusing. This is a dude who's like... Well, remember, you got to remember, oh Derek. Gosh. The lie detector test is sponsored by LeBron James. It's presented by LeBron I James. I thought it was sponsored by John Heyman. Oh, and John Heyman, sure. <laughs> it's sponsored by John Heyman, presented by LeBron James. Yeah. So, dude, I, I don't know. I mean... He's is just he trying, trying to, to butter him up Kyrie. because he... I think he's a free agent at the end of the year. But he didn't get him this year, so why did... You know. But that was because another team had to trade for him. Like, maybe the La- like the Lakers couldn't offer as good of players as maybe the Mavericks yeah, did or the Lakers package, right? Think. So now that he'll be a free agent, he's trying to endear himself. So I, I do think it might be like... How could you say that? Know, Very man. proud of the man that he's become. He just got in trouble for anti-Semitic stuff a couple months ago. What do you yeah. mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't really know what the angle is on this one. I, like I said, I think he's just trying to endear him, so he signs with the Lakers in the offseason. <laughs> Iowa State Athletic Director Jamie Pollard, he uh, 
was asked if it's annoying to play on Longhorn Network, which they just played at Texas earlier yeah, they, this so week. Yeah, so they played the at Texas, and Network. the game was only on Longhorn Network. His response, can't leave soon enough. This is the truth, 100%. This is 100% the truth. Yes. And I wish more people were coming like this. He's so like butthurt about the Longhorn Network and Texas and all that crap that he's like, dude, get him out of here. Now, this I do think true. there's I a part of it that could sure be a lie feels- because the Big 12 would be more valuable with Texas, and that would be helpful to Iowa I don't think Iowa State cares about that. But maybe not. Um, and yeah, that that is uh, a bit of truth. So yeah, I think this, sure. I think he's just trying to stick up for his fans and be like, dude, we're on the Longhorn Network. Like, what are we doing? Nobody can watch it. Like, dude, let, what? Like, let's just make the Cyclone Network, and then when Texas comes to play, that's the only place you can watch it. Okay, this one from uh, Matt Stafford. He was, uh, uh, or, or I guess Kelly. Well, this isn't directly from him, but it's from pretty reliable source. Kelly Stafford's podcast. Kelly Stafford, who is his wife, has a podcast, and they went to watch the Super Bowl. This is again according to what she said on her podcast at Sean McVay's house. And after the Chiefs won, Matthew Stafford turned to his wife Kelly and said, "Don't worry, we're going to beat them in the Super Bowl next year." With what team? It ain't gonna be the Rams, I don't think. Are they gonna even make the playoffs? I, I don't know. I, I'm very confused. Aaron Donald's getting older. Bobby Wagner just agreed that he's gonna yeah, play somewhere yeah. else. I be, I'm like, very confused. Guys coming off injuries. What the angle is here? Like, with what team is he gonna get <laughs> traded to somebody else? Matthew Stafford? Because yeah. I don't think he's gonna beat him with the Rams. I don't think in his mind he's lying. He thinks he's being serious. But oh yeah, no, this is yeah, just, that, you that know happening. over extreme confidence. Yeah. yeah. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That the Rams is gonna beat the Chiefs. Our lie detector test. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We'll be back after this. Five o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson with you. Nick Springer is uh, scooting on out of here, getting ready for some high school sports weekly going down to Burgers by Biggs on Wakarusa and Bob Billings. They're going to be recording the show from 6 to 7 in person. they got the loudspeaker set up. You can come by, grab a bite to eat one of their great burgers or uh, the different hot dogs. They have grilled cheeses. They have chicken. All sorts of great stuff at Burgers by Biggs, but the burgers are to die for. Mouth-watering action there with some of the great sides, too. So go on out, watch the show. Um, Free State High School Girls Basketball is going to be on the ledger for this week's show with Nick. It'll air at 7 o'clock on KLWN, but again, recording live from 6 to 7. The reason it's airing at 7 on the air, even though it's recording from 6 to 7 at Burgers by Biggs, because we have Hawk Talk with Brandon Schneider from 6 to 7 o'clock here on KLWN. So I I wanted to take a look and kind of dive into... um, how teams have done in the first half of the Big 12 versus how they've done in the second half over the last few years when the Big 12 has, has really heated up here, and also how maybe some Big 12 coaches who have been in it for the long haul, you know, uh, a good amount of years, have, have done in their course of the first half, second half, to see if there's anything that we could take away in terms of, well, those are the best coaches. They're, they're better at adjusting into the second go-around, or if... Maybe there was nothing there, or maybe if consistently, if if you want to be the best team, it's how you do in the second half versus being the first half. What possible takeaways we could kind of have there? So, the first thing that I that I kind of entered into here was Big Twelve teams in the first half of the season versus Big Twelve teams over the second half of the season, 
over the last three seasons of play. So that gives us kind of the newer version of the Big 12 with the current coaches for the most part um, or the current structure of the league or how good the league has been in recent years. And there's a couple ways of looking at this. You know, there's your percentage increase of win percentage from the first half to the second half. There's a way of looking at it in terms of um, just where you ranked in the first half win percentage, where you ranked in the second half. Was there an improvement there? Uh you know, devaluation, like what's kind of the the number that you look at. Uh, I should also mention probably that numbers are going to be a little incongruent first half to second half because the second half of the season right now is not complete for this year. So there's still three more games of data to enter in for this year that we're not quite there yet. And also the COVID year in 2020, some teams ended up only playing maybe 15, 16, 17 games as opposed to full 18. Like Baylor went thirteen and one, so their first half was nine and zero. Their second half was only four and one. So you get a little bit of a difference uh, between those two. So if we go through this list, the team who is over the last three seasons been first in the first half of Big Twelve play and win percentage is actually Baylor with Scott Drew. They've gone twenty one and six in the first half. They're also tied first in the second half of Big Twelve play at seventy five percent, going fifteen and five. The team who is second in the first half is is Bill Self at Kansas at 70%. They're tied first with Baylor for second half win percentage at 75%, but they've played more games at 18 and 6 to 15 and 5. So those are the top two that you would expect. But in the case of Baylor, they're a minus 3%. Kansas is a plus 5. So if you go by just the differential between the first half to the second half, Kansas would be fourth in the Big 12. Baylor would be seventh. But in the case of both those teams, you know, when you're doing so well in the first half, it's hard to have a gigantic improvement into the second half of the season. The largest improvement of a team in the Big 12 from the first half to the second half of the season is actually Oklahoma State with Mike Boynton. Over the last three years, they are tied sixth in the Big 12 at just winning 41% of their games in the first half of the season. They're up to fourth at 63% in their win percentage in the second half, 15 and nine. That's a 22% increase for Mike Boynton and what he's done in the second half versus the first half. So he he's a, a good coach, I guess, at adjusting to what happens in the first half of the season, um, or maybe the schedule has just been a little friendlier in the second half, maybe a combination of both. Texas Tech has been the second most improved team under Chris Beard and then Mark Adams for these past two seasons. They won 44% of their games in the first half. That's fifth in the Big 12 over that time. 58% of their games in the second half, which is also fifth, but that's a 14% increase between the two. West Virginia had the third best at a 6% increase, 37% in the first half, which was eighth, 43%, which is sixth in the Big 12 in the second half, so they're plus six. Then you get to Kansas, who's a plus five at fourth. Um, In fifth place is actually Texas. They were both third in the first half and second half, so they've kind of been consistent. They're a plus two. That's the same for Kansas State, uh, who was ninth in the first half, seventh in the second half over the last three years. And then you get to the bottom three, which is Oklahoma, Iowa State, and TCU. Iowa State had the one year with Steve Prohm where they were 0-9 in both the first and second half. They went 0-18, so they ended up being a, a you know kind of a net neutral anyway. But with TJ Otzelberger, they've had kind of a tough second half year this year for Iowa State. So they're a minus 8%. OU's a minus 6 over the one year of Lon Kruger, the two with Porter Mosier. Jamie Dixon has really struggled in the second half of Big 12 play. Over the last three seasons, Jamie Dixon with TCU. He is fourth in the first half of play at 56% with a 15-12 and 12 record. 
in the second half of play, Jamie Dixon is only winning 33% or uh, 23% of his games. That is 10th in the Big 12. He's 5-17, and 17, and it's a 33% drop-off. The next lowest is an 8% drop-off. So do you take away from that that Jamie Dixon isn't good at adjusting? Is it the schedule? Is it something else there? I don't totally know. You'd like to have a larger sample size than just the three seasons, but unfortunately, you know, it, it it's even incongruent when you're making all those comparisons because in the case of like Iowa State or Oklahoma or Kansas State or Texas or Texas Tech, you've had multiple coaches in a three-year span. Like with Tech, you've had Chris Beard for one, Mark Adams for for two. You With Texas, you've had three coaches, Shaka Smart, Chris Beard, Rodney Terry. With K-State, Bruce Weber and Jerome Tang in his first year. With Oklahoma, a year of Lon Kruger, two years of Porter Mosier. With Iowa State, a year of Steve Prohm before T.J. Otzelberger. So uh, it's not totally great to do it that way. If we look at it in terms of Big 12 coaches who have accrued at least three seasons in the Big 12, it's funny. There are only five coaches in the Big 12 who have accrued at least three seasons, yet all five of them have accrued at least six seasons. So there are five coaches that have been in the Big 12 for six seasons or more. And then there are five coaches in the Big 12 who have been in the Big 12 for only one or two years as a head coach at their stop that they're at right now. Um, so that kind of makes it more difficult. But if we look at just the five coaches who, how they've done, but we're just going to go back to 2013 because that is the new Big 12 with West Virginia and TCU added on and, and some of the schools leaving. Bill Self, Bob Huggins, Scott Drew, those are the three coaches who have been around since the Big 12 became what it is now. Then you have Mike Boynton, who's been at Oklahoma State for six seasons, Jamie Dixon for seven seasons. If we look at that over the course of their entire time there, Mike Boynton has only gone 17 and 37 in his first go around through the league. And uh, the first half, I guess, is the way of putting it because you could play nine games and maybe you play one one or two teams twice before you play another team uh, for the first time. But uh, 31.5% win percentage in his first half through the league. That's actually... Um. Well, no, that's uh, of the five coaches, it's fifth. But in the second half, Mike Boynton is up to a 58 winning percentage at 29 and 21, which is third among these five coaches. But that is a plus 26.5% between the first half to second half. So either way you look at it, Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State, he is so much better when he sees everything through one time or he's really good at maybe getting his team out of a hole but that's also part of this too that you have to factor in if you almost like sandbag it in the first half where you're not as good but you're a better team than that you're probably going to do better in the second half and that's kind of what Oklahoma State has done but in terms of being able to improve his team from the first half to the second half nobody's done it better than Mike Boynton but still what's funny is even as gigantic of an improvement as he has had, 26.5% win percentage from the first half of the games to the second half of the games in Big 12 play. His second half win percentage is still almost 20% lower than that of Bill Self. And so if you go in the list of the five coaches who have been here three or more seasons, which again, all are six or more seasons, Bill Self is actually second in the win percentage improvement from the first half of the season to the second half of the season, even despite the fact that he has the best winning percentage in the first half of the season. So it's not the Oklahoma State situation where they've just done so poorly in the first half that by them being solid 
58%, but not elite in the second half. It's this gigantic jump. For KU, Bill Self has won 77.8% of his games in the first half of the season over the last 11 seasons. That's first in that time span among these five coaches. In the second half of the season, he's winning 77.1% of his games, so it's actually a slight decrease, but that's also first. And the percentage, a negative 0.7%, is the second best among these five coaches. To be successful in the Big 12, to be successful in a league this strong, to be successful in college basketball, you have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to make improvements as the season goes on. We've seen Kansas and Bill Self do that so, so often, and and that's reflective in the stat. Uh, Baylor with Scott Drew is actually second in both first half percentage of these five coaches and second half, so he's kind of similar to Bill Self. Like, uh, you just didn't really sandbag. But what's funny is, with Scott Drew over these 11 seasons, 63.6% is his win percentage in the first half. It's 62% in the second half. Again, it's at like 78 to 77 for Kansas. So the drop-off from Bill Self to Scott Drew is 15%. I mean, he's just blowing them out of the water in both halves. And it shows you the consistency of Kansas, too. That they're really good in the first half. They're really good in the second half. They're just a really good team. Coached by a really good coach. Just rounding things out here for the the sake of doing so. Uh, West Virginia with Bob Huggins over the 11 seasons. They're at a 51.5% in the first half of the season. They're at a 46.3 in the second half, so they're down 5.2. Jamie Dixon has been the opposite of Oklahoma State. Uh, He's won 49.2% of his games in the first half of the season in his seven Big 12 seasons. TC was only one under Jamie Dixon, 31% of their second half games over his seven seasons. That's an 18.2% mix. So a couple things to take away here. One, Scott Drew is probably by far the second best coach in the Big 12. But I don't know that that's that crazy. He, you know, won a title a couple years ago and and he's done really good things at, at Baylor. Bill Self, though, the gap between him and Scott Drew is pretty sizable here. And you add to it that, you know, Bill Self continues to do it and continues to do it year in and year out and exceed expectations when he has such high expectations. I mean, it's amazing the big gap there. The other big takeaway that I have here, honestly, is that like Mike Boynton, if if you gave a team Jamie Dixon in the first half of the season, Mike Boynton in the second half of the season, they're going to probably be consistently the third best program in the Big 12. So I guess in the future, when we get to the halfway point of Big 12 play, when you look at Kansas, when you look at Baylor, you just look at it and go, yeah, we expect them to be good in the second half, whether they were good or not in the first half. For TCU, you almost go, ah, we expect them to drop off. And for Oklahoma State, you go, oh, okay, we expect them to do a lot better. Just kind of some interesting numbers that uh, I kind of wanted to go over. I don't know that there's much of a takeaway from it because we already knew Bill Self is a really good coach, and you know that doesn't really change by me talking about this. But certainly thought it was uh, kind of interesting with some of those numbers of how good Bill Self has been in the second half in closing out these Big 12 titles, which is what you're looking to try to do here. But also, he's been really good in the first half too, and there's not that big of a change between uh, the two of them for him. We're going to take a timeout. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn KLWN.com, and the KLWN app, depending on it.